All right, welcome all you cool cats and kittens out there. We are ready to study the Word of God. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Mark, uh, chapter 8, and we're going to be talking about four stages of growth in a two-stage miracle, and I'm very, very excited to be spending time with you. Uh, like BK said, we love you, we are praying for you, and uh, I know we're not all able to get together and hug each other right now, uh, but uh, through the internet, we give you a giant hug right now. We love you, and uh, you you are uh, deeply in our hearts, and anything you need, please let us know. Reach out for prayer requests. I know some people have been struggling with depression. Some people have been struggling with food and other things. Uh, just reach out. We are here for you, and um, uh, I'm, I'm really excited at how God is going to use this time in our uh, world history uh, to transform everything. And I pray that there's going to be huge revival. Uh, well, today is Palm Sunday, which means we're one week away from Easter. We're not going to be able to get together for Easter. Uh, we're going to do our normal uh, church service online. Uh, we're going to do a regular Bible study, except we're going to be focused on the resurrection. Uh, today being Palm Sunday, uh, Palm Sunday was the day in um, in the Bible, when Jesus, one week before he was crucified for our sins, he walked in and presented himself as the Messiah, and uh, Israel um, did not receive him. You know, they thought they were receiving, they thought they were a little excited. Uh, they, they, they waved palms and said, blessed is him who comes in the name of the Lord. But they didn't really want anything to do with what he was doing, his plan. His plan was to die on the cross, to give his life, uh, to free them from the bondage of sin. And their idea of salvation was to be freed from the hands of Rome. And uh, so uh, that's what Palm Sunday is all about. We are going to go back uh, and continue our study through Mark chapter 8. Uh, and we're going to be starting in verse 22 and going through 26. And what, what happens, well, let's, let's pray before we get right, in, uh, right into that. Father, I thank you for your great love, your patience, your kindness, uh, your forgiveness. Uh, Lord, that you still work with us even when we're um, broken. In fact, us feeling and sensing our brokenness is really all part of the plan uh, to get to know you and how faithful you are. And how powerful you are. So God, I pray, I ask very simply, you would speak from heaven into our hearts, into our minds right now. We don't deserve it. We cannot earn it. But we ask by your grace that you would powerfully speak to every person that's able to hear or see right now. Amen. As we spend time in God's word and with uh, Jesus, uh, he develops our spiritual sight. Um, he causes us to uh, grow in his grace. Uh, there's, a, there's a verse in 2 Peter 3.18 that says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, and so that's the goal, is that we get to know him and we learn how to receive what he wants to give. Get to know him and receive what he wants to give. And uh, today, we're going to see a very strange miracle. Uh, Jesus is going to heal a man of blindness in multiple steps. 
And right there, I'm, I'm just going gonna, gonna to summarize it for you right off the bat. He, he takes multiple steps. And right there, you got cynics that come flying in and they say, see, look, you know, even if Jesus was able to do miraculous things, this shows that sometimes he was weak or he was not able or somehow uh, God wasn't able to do all of this in one miracle he needed to. Um, and right there, that is just completely silly. Uh, Jesus did this to teach us something. He never makes a mistake. He never has a lack of power or resources. He did this to teach us something. And I got to confess to you, I had no idea for years and years and years and years what it was. I looked at this miracle and I thought, huh, strange. He took multiple miracles to, to heal this guy's blindness. He heals him by stages. First, he he heals him and, and he can kind of see things fuzzy like men look like trees and then he finally heals him all the way. Well, what does that have to do with anything? Uh, it was very strange and I'm really excited to share with you guys that that I believe God has has helped me uh, and spoken to, uh, to me in my heart that I can share with you guys this week. Um, and the fact that Jesus does this in a different way than all, than all his other miracles shows us that you can't put God in a box and just expect that he's going to do the same thing every time. He works with individuals, and, and so individuals are important to him. He knows what everybody needs. If you remember, Jesus raises three people from the dead in his, in his earthly ministry. The first one uh, was the daughter of Jairus, and he touched her. The second was the, um, the son of the widow of Nain, and him, Jesus, just touched the stretcher. And the third person Jesus raised from the dead was Lazarus, and all he did was speak to him. So three people raised from the dead, three different ways. Jesus says, don't put me in a box. I can do it however I want. But God never does anything without a reason. And I got to tell you guys, there is a reason why he did things the way that he did them. Sometimes those reasons are plain, and it's pretty easy to, to get it. Sometimes it, Jesus comes right out and tells us, this is what I meant. This is what it was all about. Other times, Jesus conceals the reason to test us, um, to, to see if we are going to seek him out, to get alone with him and the word of God. Do we really want to find out? Do we really care to find out? Jesus says when he was alone, we've seen this already in the book of Mark, that with his disciples that he explained all things to his disciples. Are you getting alone with Jesus? When you come across something in scripture that you don't understand or that's just mysterious, are you getting alone with him? I encourage you. I challenge you. Do it. I've come across many things in the Bible that I did not understand, and I've learned that the answer is there. Jesus has an answer, um, but and these mysteries become a motivation for me to get alone with Jesus and to seek His face. I find that He, um, that He, well, I love it when He plants the answer in my heart. I think it's so cool. It's cool. and, and that doesn't mean I get answers to everything or nothing like that. It's just when I seek him, he chooses to answer me at various times. Uh, I'm going to share with you a verse from Proverbs that says, Proverbs 25, verse 2. He says, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it is the glory of kings to search out a matter. See, God, he 
it glorifies him when he doesn't just come out and tell everybody everything. But he hides certain things because he wants us to have the privilege, the excitement of searching it out and discovering what uh, he meant, what his heart is. It's, it's this discovery that's very... I love doing escape rooms, and it's about discovering the mysteries, and it's really, it's really fun. So my wife and I and our kids, we love doing escape rooms because of that sense of discovery. Well, I got to confess again, I did not understand what this miracle meant when I started studying this week. Um, but I believe after studying and after spending time with Jesus... Um, I can kind of sense what God's heart is in it. And I'm going to explain it before we even read, read it. I'm going to kind of get, get us going in that direction. There are going to be four stages of this man, in this man's life, this blind man. Uh, and this miracle is designed uh, to teach us how God works with us and miraculously transforms us as we become his disciples, as we are saved and become his children, he is in the process of taking us through these stages uh, so that we uh, can be truly set free to live for him, to serve him, to walk in the spirit. So let's, let's look. What are these first the stages? Stage number one, this man is separated from God. Real easy. Stage number one, he is an unbeliever. He is on his way to hell. He is separated from God. Stage number two, he becomes united with Jesus, and now he is separated from sin, uh, but he's still blind. That's stage number two. Stage number three, he is made aware of the depths of his brokenness and his dependence on self. So we're going to see stage three is we become made aware of the depths of our depravity and our de dependence on flesh and self. Stage number four, he is healed of the self-life and delivered to live through the grace of Jesus alone. Okay, so what's really cool, and as I was, as I was looking at this in these four stages, I noticed that they, they really parallel and they really go with the book of Romans. So we're going to be uh, tasting a few parts of the book of Romans because stage one is described and taught to us very clearly in Romans chapters one through five. So as you go, as we're going through this, we're going to reference that stage two, where we're united with God, we're justified, born again. Uh, that is talked about in Romans chapter six, stage three where we have to be made aware of our of the depths of our depravity and our dependence on flesh and self. That is Romans chapter 7. And then when we get to stage 4, which is the freedom of life of, of Christ, walking in the Spirit, that is definitely taught to us in Romans chapter 8. So we're going to see some parallels as we go through this. So let's get right into our scripture and start now. Uh, Roman, uh, Mark chapter 8, verse 22. Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought to him a, a man, uh, a blind man, and begged him to touch him. So, this is stage one, okay? This man is separated from God. Again, Romans chapters 1 through 5 describes the uh, state of a person who does not have a relationship with God, be, and they're separated. Why are they separated from God? Because of sin. 
Sin is always the answer. Why are we separated from God? Because of sin. But look what happens in this verse. It says, they brought the blind man to him. Who is this they? Well, this they is some people. Some people who knew Jesus, knew what he was capable of, believed in him. They brought this sinner to Jesus. Now, this week on Facebook, I did a, a poll. What I put it on my Facebook was this. I'm conducting an informal survey to find out what method God used to bring people to saving faith in Jesus Christ. It would help a lot if you could share in a sentence how you were saved. So I put that on my Facebook and I was, I was really blown away by it. I had over 50 responses of people just sharing how. And, and here's the thing. In most of them, a vast majority of them, guess what? Someone was deeply involved in bringing them to Jesus. Just a friend, some other Christian, some other believer. And I would, I would dare say in all of them, someone was praying for them. But in most of them, someone literally was involved in sharing the gospel with them. So of, of, the, of the, all these people who shared these wonderful stories, the, there was someone who took them aside and said, I got to take you to Jesus. And, and that was what happened. That, uh, that was the, 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 the thing that God used. They were carrying out the Great Commission. What we're here as Christians, what we're on this earth to do is to bring people to Jesus, teach them what he did on the cross and how to follow him. And I was just blown away and blessed when I saw all those responses. Um, there was a few people that came to God because God himself revealed himself to them, which I think also was a response to other people's prayers as well. And I just think, wow, uh, Jesus is so willing to step down and reach out into this world that we live in. If we will take steps of faith and say, I want to introduce you to Jesus. I want to bring you to Jesus. So don't get lost in there. The, for that first step, um, sinners get brought to Jesus. And let's see what happens next. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. Now, I think this describes stage number two, a stage where the sinner becomes united with Jesus. Separated not from God, but now they're separated from sin. See, Jesus grabs him by the hand and takes him out of the town he was in. This describes getting saved or the beginning, getting justified, starting out a relationship with God. Now, now look, though, but the, the guy is still blind. This, this guy is still blind. So we, we look at Romans chapter 6, which describes the, uh, the process of, of justification. When someone trusts in Jesus, they, when someone chooses to take that hand that Jesus offered, this blind guy, he's, he's blind and he takes Jesus' hand. He is now in relationship with Jesus. What is he doing? All he's doing is he, he allowed Jesus to take his hand. Now he's in relationship with Jesus. He's trusting Jesus. Jesus is leading him. He's hand in hand with Jesus. He's leaving the world behind. So the, the world that he lived in, this world, this town of sin, Jesus is leading him out of it. 
He is following Jesus. What does that look like? Well, for this blind guy, he is literally still blind, but all he's doing is holding on to Jesus. And this represents simple faith. Just, I just believe that Jesus is the only way. And I'm going to hold on to him no matter where he's leading me, no matter how far it is or how much I'm leaving behind in the familiar sounds and everything that this blind guy was, was used to, he leaves it all behind to follow Jesus. I think that's amazing. He is uh, what we could call dead to sin. He's leaving it behind and he has a, a new life. And that is what is described in Romans chapter 6. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 5. Romans 6, verse 5 says, If we have been united together, see that, like hand in hand, okay, united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. There's that hand in hand united idea. Look at Romans 6, 13, verse 13. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present your members to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. You're presenting yourself. You're following Jesus. He, he, he shows this when he's following Jesus. He's obeying Jesus. He places his member, his hand in Jesus's hand. He is now alive to Jesus, alive in Jesus and dead to what he used to be. He's not holding on to the world anymore because his hand is in the hands of Jesus. That unity, that relationship is this first stage. And then verse 18, Romans 6, 18. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. There we see he is no longer the slave of sin. He is justified. Uh, and uh, he, we could, in this story, he's been set free from the town of sin. And this town really does rec represent sin, this Bethsaida, uh, as we're going to see a little bit later. And he's free from that town to, uh, he's free from that town of sin so that he can live in a new life that God wanted for him. So all of this is just stage one, just stage one in our walk with Jesus. And this guy is still blind, but what does that mean? Well, let's, let's take a look and let's get into our, our next scripture here. Back in Mark chapter 8, 23, and when he had spit on his eyes and he put his hands on him. Now, just briefly, I'm gonna. We've seen Jesus spit before in our culture. That's really weird and gross. But in, but it's actually not. What do you do when you get a paper cut? You on your finger. You put it in your mouth, right? You suck on it because even subconsciously we know that there's a healing power in saliva. Well, uh, in that day, it was it was definitely thought that there was healing. Uh, in the saliva, but but Jesus is saying the, the healing that I'm going to give you uh, proceeds from me. So that's why he spit on it. And uh, and then he put his hands on him. This is an intimate touch, an intimate uh, dispersal of power. He wants to uh, pour out onto this man uh, his love, but he wants to touch him. He wants to be near him. I love that. And he said, he asked him if he saw anything. Now, Jesus asks if he could see anything. Do you think Jesus knew what was going on? Was Jesus testing to see if his miracle took, if his miracle worked, if he said the magic words right and, and did the spell correctly? No. 
Jesus knew exactly what was going on. He knew that he asked the question so that he could get a response from this man that's very, very, very important. And so that his disciples and us would know what's going on. Jesus already knew the answer to this question, but he needed this man. He's teaching this man a very important lesson. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. In other words, everything was super fuzzy. Uh, he did not see things the way that he knew. Somehow he, he either used to be able to see or, or he had some kind of knowledge of what things should look like. And he knew he could not see correctly, that it was, it, he was not okay. This was not complete. This is stage three. This is the stage many Christians are in right now or are about to go in, or maybe they are, have been going through it for a while or they've gone through it in the past. And this is when we are made aware of our depravity, the depth of our depravity and our dependence on self. And this is taught very clearly in Romans chapter 7. So let's see here what we can see. We see that through the healing power and touch of Jesus, this man is in a better state than he was, but it's not complete and he's not totally well. That's obvious. And, you know, I thought Romans should end after chapter 6 when it describes us being forgiven of our sins and united to God and hand in hand with him. And just the glory of that is so great. And then I get really confused when it goes right into Romans chapter 7, describing the struggle that Paul had after he got saved, after he's a believer. This struggle, this deep struggle between his flesh and his spirit, where Paul, already a believer, is learning you cannot walk in the flesh as a Christian. Um, so I thought Romans should end after chapter 6, but I, I've learned now that Romans chapter 7 is so vital because in Romans 7, God makes us aware of how weak we are and how we can never go back to trusting in ourselves again. Our flesh is always weak. Our flesh cannot please God. God has a new way for us to live, and it is not according to our best efforts, our flesh. It, it just isn't that way. Romans chapter 7 clearly teaches that. Look at this. In Romans chapter 7, the word I or me is used 32 times in one chapter. What do you think the topic is? The lesson in Romans 7 is I am broken. I am not okay. My flesh is not able to be fixed. I need a completely new source of living and life. God illuminated Paul. And so he wrote this Romans chapter 7 to understand the problem that exists for all Christians, and that problem is self. And we're going to see Jesus is so clear on this in the next uh, thing that we study in Mark when, when uh, Peter says, 
don't go to the cross. You don't need to go to the cross. Save yourself. And I want you to think about that. And Jesus' response to Peter doesn't have to do with Peter being uh, a dork or, or, or being satanic. It has to do with Peter wanting to save this self, even someone else's self. Jesus is going to tell him, it's not about me saving self. It's about me obeying my father, following God. Self is the enemy of your Christian walk. Self. What do I mean by self? Self is anything that I source from my own life. Anything. So if it comes from my desires or my efforts uh, or even my will, it's, it's not going to please God. It is God's natural enemy. So God has made a different way for his children to live. Let's read a little bit of Romans 7 and see how Paul describes this self-life and what kind of trouble you and me get in when we decide to live by the self-life as opposed to by the Spirit. Romans 7, 14 through 18. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. There's the two different life sources sold under sin. For what I am doing... I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I do not do, do, will not to do, I agree that the law is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know, or Paul says, I've been illuminated. I've figured out. Romans chapter 7 has taught me. I know that it, that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. And that is so vital, that lesson. That is the, the, the core lesson of Romans chapter 7, summarized in one verse. I know that is in me, in my flesh, dwells no good thing. The, the, the biggest danger for every Christian out there, pastor to baby believer, the biggest danger is thinking that in me something good. I can do it if I just put a little bit more effort in. I can succeed if I just could figure it out uh, or just put a little bit more in, or if I just serve a little bit more, or if I just study a little bit more, or if I just pray a little bit more, it's something depends on me. And that is the biggest evil, the biggest um, stumbling block that I've seen in this Christian life with my fellow brothers and sisters, really believing that it depends upon me when it doesn't. Your freedom from sin does not depend on your strength. And this guy here, this blind man, he didn't, he didn't try to fake it with Jesus. He just confessed, I do not see things. I, I've been illuminated. Some, I can see some things now, but all I see is that I can't see. This partial healing of this man gives us that truth that he can see that he can't 
see. And that is such a, a great moment of growth in any Christian. See, we get saved and we're all excited and we think, yay, everything is going to be great. And then we mess everything up and we just, we, we have a horrible time and we keep falling into sin. And then on our knees in tears, God touches us again and he says, what do you see now? And we say, all I can see is that I'm a mess. All I can see is that I can't do this on my own. All I can see is that I can't see. That is stage three. We are made aware of the depths of our depravity. We are made to be convinced that we cannot do it in our own strength and in our own power. What a miracle. And it truly is a miracle. And I know many believers who are in stage one take hope. You can get to stage four or stage two, I guess. You can get to stage four. You can get there. God will take you there. But you have to go through stage three. And stage three is this illumination saying, I am not okay. I can never do this Christian life in my own power by my own efforts. Then let's get back to our text in in this miracle. Then Jesus, he put his hands on his eyes again and, and he made him look up. Oh man, what a great, what a great thing that is. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Oh man, at the end of Romans chapter 7, Paul says, Who will deliver me from this body of death, this eye, this flesh that I have to live in that's so weak, I'm so messed up. And Jesus puts his hand under his chin and lifts his chin. And then Paul says, oh, I, I, he looks up and he says, oh, thanks be to Jesus Christ. His eyes have been lifted. He is now on Jesus. His his eyes have been lifted to Jesus. And Jesus says, just look at me. It's all going to be okay. It's I will heal you. I will take care of it. I will get you from stage three to stage four. And this is what we see here. Stage four, Romans chapter eight, where where this man, where we are healed of the self-life and delivered to live a life through grace, through the spirit. This is the victorious Christian life. This is the goal of grace, the, the mountain of maturity. This is the life of the spirit, or in our, in our text here, we could call it, this is perfect 2020 vision. Being able to really see, being able to really walk. You ever notice people who are blind have a hard time walking? It's just reality. And, and, This kind of perfect vision only comes after the first three stages of Christian life because we must learn to trust in the life and the grace and the spirit of Jesus alone completely. We must surrender all other hopes. This this is how it works to walk in the spirit. When Jesus' grace is all we have we learn that it's all that we need. So let's look at a couple verses in Romans to see how it, how it parallels with this. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 4. There is, thou, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk 
according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Remember we said, when you're blind, you can't see and you can't see clearly to walk. And now the walk is happening in this life. It's happening. The walk means you can see clearly to not trip, right? Uh, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk, there it is again, according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This uh, stage four Christian life is a Christian life that has learned to not walk according to the flesh, not walk in my own efforts, not walk by my ideas, not walk in, in trusting me or trying harder, but walk according to his power, according to what he did on the cross. So in other words, you wake up every day, you don't say, Lord, what am I going to do for you? But you wake up and you say, Lord, thank you for what you did for me. It's done. The work is done. And he says that person can walk according to the Spirit. They will be empowered by the Spirit to do more work than anyone else could ever do, to do better work, Spirit-empowered work, and anything that we do for Christ should be done by the Holy Spirit through us. It's a miracle that we can see and walk in the Spirit Our eyes can be healed so that we can see that way. Have you ever heard, I once was blind, but now I see? The, the, the guy in, who was healed in, in another part of the Gospels, we, we took that and we put it in amazing grace. He does this for us. You don't need to do this for yourself. How do I get there? How do I get there? You grab Jesus' hand. You follow him. He leads you, and he does all of this for you. Your only responsibility is do not get up and run away from him. Just stay with him. Abide with him. Remain with him. Keep your eyes on him, your heart fixed on him. It's a miracle, but he does this for us. And then we can see and walk the way that he walked. That's his goal. He wants to get us there. Uh, Again, another portion of Romans 8 that we can look at is verse 14 through 15. For as many of us as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So our eyes are not open just to see what what would stumble us or see what direction to go. Our eyes are further opened to see our relationship with God. Our relationship where he has adopted us to be his real sons and daughters. That relationship is spiritually revealed. That relationship where, where we know beyond any shadow of doubt in our hearts I am God's son, and he loves me. He cherishes me. That kind of relationship that that can cry out Abba or Papa, the, the intimate, close type of relationship, is only born by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the only one that can make you understand that, 
and know it and feel that kind of fatherly relationship in your heart. Now look at the end of chapter 8, verse 30 and 39. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the last thing we see here is that our eyes, when we're healed, when we're in stage 4, they are open to see love. God supernaturally enables you to experience, to know, to feel, to see how much he loves you. That is the pinnacle of healing. That's the pinnacle of the work of Jesus in your life, that you would know how much God loves you. That he does not have other plans in heaven. He is only thinking of you. He is thinking about your future he is, he is dwelling on your past, what Jesus has done for you, how you've been washed clean. He is, he is interested in your present, and he is walking with you and working in your life, all because he deeply loves you. And that, you, 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 you tell the world, Jesus loves you, and, and it, it just falls on deaf ears. They don't understand what that means, because only the Holy Spirit can make us know it in our hearts. Only the Holy Spirit can plant that seed in our soul of his love. And the Holy Spirit is doing it in you. And he wants you to taste the fruit that that seed will produce. He wants us to be his beloved. We are his beloved. And the Holy Spirit is taking us through these stages so we can learn how wonderful it is to be his beloved children. Now, our, our text ends with this amazing verse. Then he sent him away to his house, saying, Do not go into the town or tell anyone in the town. Now, I've seen, I think that this town represents the sinful world that he left behind. And Jesus is saying, Don't go back to the sinful world. Once you've come and known me, um, I will give you instructions of what to do. I will give you a, a burden. I will give you a calling. And this guy's calling, Jesus said, is to your house, to your home. Isn't that crazy? Where are we all called to right now? Our home. <laughs> By various circumstances and things that are just crazy, Jesus has said, you're called to your home right now too. That doesn't mean you're missing out. In fact, when you're following him, when you're loved by him, when you're trusting him and your eyes are open, wherever you're at is where you're meant to be. It is the most exciting thing in the world to know that you're loved by God and that he has done everything for you, that he cherishes you as his beloved more than a husband cherishes a bride. He cherishes you. We see here that God can give us direction. He can direct us however he wants. He will call you. He will put a burden in your heart. You either can go or don't go. He, he, he can tell you, go or don't go, stay, you know, um, or don't stay. It's his choice, not ours. But when we're at stage four, we're, we're, we're devoid of self-ambition. We're devoid of self-decision-making. So we don't need to make our own decisions. We don't need to make our own plans. We just follow his words. We give up leadership. That's stage four. That's the fruit of stage four. 
You are a submissive servant. We give up control of our lives to follow Jesus. We do things that are uncomfortable and that we may not in our flesh think we have the power or ability or or even desire to do. But in Christ, we do it by faith because his love is motivating us. And y'all would wrap all this up. I would tell you that that all describes one, one word, surrender. Surrender. Surrender to him. In your house this week, surrender to him, spending time with him. Um, but it's, a, it's, it's not like the surrender of war. It's, it's more like a glad surrender, a surrender that is motivated by love. You've loved me. You've made me to know and feel and sense and understand your love, God. So why would I do anything except your will? I want to do your will, God. All right, so that is our study for today. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap it up with four questions, uh, and these are for you to ponder, for you to think about. Well, really one question with four options, multiple choice. We all like those. Um, what stage are you in? What stage are you in? I believe God wants to get all of us through to stage four. I believe he can do it quickly if we are soft and tender and are willing to surrender and stay in his presence and quit running away to do our own things. Which stage are you in? Are you in stage one where you're separated from God, where you have no relationship with God because uh, you don't trust Jesus? Your hand is not in his hand, but you you have friends trying to get you to Jesus. Maybe they shared this video on your Facebook. Maybe they, they sent this to you. Maybe you're whatever. You, maybe you've been born into a, a house of believers and your parents have been trying to tell you, follow Jesus, follow Jesus, follow Jesus. I don't know. But maybe you're in stage one, separated from God. If you are, God will get you to stage two. How? By faith. He's going to come to you. He's here right now. His hand is stretched out and he can get you to stage two. But maybe you're in stage two right now where you are forgiven. You know that you're forgiven. You know that you've asked Jesus to to forgive you. You believe in him. You're hand in hand with him. You're leaving the world behind. You're still with him by faith, but you're still blind. You're still blind. In other words, you're still tripping up all the time. You're still failing all the time. You still have all of these struggles and you know that you don't see and it's just blindness. Okay, that's stage two. Jesus will get you to stage three. How? By faith. Stay with him. His spit, his saliva has healing power. His touch has healing power and he is offering all of his healing power to you. He says, we're not done. Just because you believed that I could forgive your sins. I did. I washed them all away. I have more healing for you right now today. I got more for you. Stay with him by faith. Stay close to him. Let him do his thing. He'll get you to stage three. So maybe you're in stage three. Stage three is that stage where we are realizing how absolutely miserably Enable, uh, incapable we are of doing God's will in our flesh, in our self. And, and, and our self will always be God's enemy. Our self will always want, even if it wants to do something right, it's still rebelling against God. Because in our flesh, our flesh can have no good thing. We cannot please God in our flesh. That is stage three. 
And maybe that's where you're at, where you're like, I see men, but they're like trees. I know all I can know is that I can't see right. All I, all I know is that I'm still messed up. Take hope, take heart, because Jesus will get you to stage four where you are free. He will complete the healing. All he needs is you to confess, I can do nothing in my flesh. So Jesus, I need you to do everything. And by faith, when you say that, Jesus rushes in with his power, his healing power, and he will not leave you there. He will get you to stage four, the victorious Christian life, where you are walking, you're able to see, you're walking in the spirit. And no longer do you trust in self when you do anything, but you're trusting in his spirit. No longer do you wake up with the mindset, I'm going to walk in the flesh, I'm going to do what I want today, but you wake up and the flesh is dead and you live by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. And every time the flesh tries to rise up like a zombie out of the dirt, you put it down and say, I will not walk according to the flesh because I've learned the lesson of stage three. My flesh can do no things, so I choose, I see to walk by the Spirit. That's our lesson today. That's our time with the Lord today. We're going to end with a time of prayer right now, giving Jesus um, our faith, putting our faith in Him directly. So, would you pray with me? Father, I, I can't even begin to describe my joy in knowing You. I have no business knowing uh, the God of the universe, for I've rebelled time after time after time, and my sin is, is, is terrible. But Jesus, you came to me. You reached out your hand, and you helped me to grab it. You came to me, and you saved me, and you filled me with your Spirit. Lord, you took me out of this world. You took me out of, of the way I used to live, the way I used to think, and you you made me alive with you, forgiving my sin. And Jesus, you've also made me see how futile my flesh is. Lord, I pray that that truth will be so clear to every single person. God, that we would know that you will not deal uh, with our flesh. You will not uh, try to fix it. You will not accept our work if we're doing it in the flesh. It's not okay. There is another stage of life with you where we can be done with it, where we can live by the Spirit. And Jesus, I pray that each person in our church and in all the churches in America and in your church, your body, that we would be free by your Spirit, that we would be cleansed, we would be uh, healed in our eyes so we could see how to walk by your Spirit. So many times I go back to walking by my flesh and I, I ask you to forgive me and teach me fully how to walk in your spirit. Lord, we praise you for all that you're doing in the world right now. You're changing people's minds and hearts. People are coming to know you in, in very amazing and real ways. People are thinking about life and death. And we rejoice that many are choosing to come to you. We pray for the doctors in our city that you would give them strength and you give them a heart of love and that you would uh, help all the people who are sick and help us to be a blessing to the people who are struggling right now. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Okay, God bless you guys this week. We're going to have a prayer uh, meeting today on Sunday, on Tuesday, and on Thursday. Um, uh, a Bible study online this week and uh, some other things going on. So we love you guys. Um, visit our website. Check out, um, you know, bum around there if you want a little bit. And, uh, and definitely connect with us on Facebook or give me a call. My number is 720-505-3808. Uh, God bless you guys and we'll talk to you soon.